Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. From Joe Rogan to Hillary Clinton to Joe Biden, this is yet another Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Get it's that. a lie. It's a lie on a news network. It, and it's it, a lie that's a willing, that's, that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Uh, we are still in the midst of a concerted, well-funded effort to undermine uh, American democracy. Mm. So we've been talking about defunding the police. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Goldco. Hey guys, welcome back to Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Uh, I'm Jason Nichols. I'm here with my buddy Vince Colonies. We got a lot going on. Vince, take it away. All right. Well, I want to start this uh, Friday show with uh, Joe Rogan, the uh, podcaster, a comedian and uh, UFC commentator. Uh, he had uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta of CNN on his show this week, and it created a bunch of headlines. And the reason for that is, as Joe Rogan had uh, recovered from COVID via a cocktail of medicine that was prescribed to him by his doctor, including monoclonal antibodies and the wildly controversial and debated ivermectin. So Joe Rogan confronts Sanjay Gupta about the ways that CNN slandered him for taking ivermectin. Just take a look at this. Horse dewormer is not a flattering thing. I get it's that. It's a lie. It's a lie on a news network. It, it, and it's a lie that's a willing, that's, that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Yeah. They're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. What did the FDA put out? <laughs> it was a tweet, and it was snarky. I admit it. They said, you are not a horse, you are not a cow. Stop taking this stuff or something like Why that. Why would you say that when you're talking about a drug that's been given out to billions and billions of people, a drug that was responsible for one of the inventors of it making the Nobel Prize the Nobel Prize in 2015? 15, yeah. yeah no, a, a drug well, that has been shown to stop viral replication in vitro. You know that. It's just a lie. I don't think anyone is thick. But don't you think that a lie like that is dangerous on a news network when you know that they know they're lying? Turns out I got COVID. So we immediately threw the kitchen sink at him. Uh, ivermectin, Z-Pak. One of those drugs he mentioned, ivermectin, is something more often used to deworm horses. All right, hang on. I, I, do see, you, the, the thing is, we're, we're, we're like going so fast. Like, I feel like I'm missing. I'm missing. Do you think I want that that's to, a problem, that your news network it was not, lies? Well, I don't, I don't, dude, I mean, what did they say? They lied what did and they said say? I was taking horse dewormer. First of all, it was prescribed to me by a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Along they with shouldn't have said a it was bunch horse. of if, other if medications. Was, if, because there were people that were taking it, the veterinary medication. And I, you're not, obviously. You got it from a doctor. So that it shouldn't be called that. Ivermectin can be a very effective medication. But he's trying to portray this as if he is feeling better now. He's doing better now because of this cocktail of drugs and medications. But when you have a horse deworming medication that's discouraged by the government, that actually causes some people in this crazed environment we're in to actually want to try it can i just come back to the one i want to talk about I, two, no, no, two, no no two no, no, things no. on you the ledger to, you have before we get to that does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied well, just outright lied they, they they shouldn't have said that why did they do that i don't know you didn't ask you I, didn't think that was I, I your, did, you're the medical guy over there i didn't ask i should have asked before but they did it with podcast. such glee no yes, joe they did. i watched 
Okay. I just want to say up front, I love this because it's uncomfortable. I think that's just, yeah. just right away. Just, I love the discomfort of that exchange. We don't get enough of that. So thank you to Joe Rogan and Sanjay Gupta for producing it. Uh, but don't you think, Jason, that Sanjay Gupta should have been more prepared for that question before he goes on Joe Rogan's podcast? Totally. You know, I was, I was kind of shocked by how off guard, and I mean, even he, he admits it towards the end, uh, that he, you know, he probably should have been prepared uh, and probably should have talked to a few people before he went on Joe Rogan's to talk about that particular thing. Particularly, I mean, CNN attacked him uh, in a way and characterized his use of ivermectin. You can certainly talk about how, you know, the, uh, the establishment has said and in there, and I don't mean establishment in, in this particular case as a pejorative. There are times I will use establishment in a pejorative sense, but in this right. sense, I'm not. Um, there, that it's an unproven drug. Um, the clip that they used where they took, um, I think that was Anderson Cooper, where he said it's a drug that's often used to deworm horses. I mean, that's kind of true. Like it is something that is an anti-parasitic drug that is used in veterinary medicine, but that's not how Joe Rogan was using it. So it wasn't necessarily in that particular clip, clip uh -huh. not an out and out lie, but there were other clips where they were saying he's making it sound literally like he was using the, vet, the veterinary version um, and not getting it prescribed by a doctor, not being monitored by a doctor. Right. But what you, uh, but I think what's happening in, in a clip like the one you just referenced by Anderson Cooper, that is intentionally deceptive sleight of hand. So yes, you're right. It can be literally true that horses or some other animals are given a form of ivermectin. But it's also true that horses and other animals are given things like anti-inflammatories. And when we see humans sure. taking anti-inflammatories, we don't say, well, a drug that's often given to horses, like what? The, the point of something like that is to slander and to diminish Joe Rogan. That's sure. the reason, that's, that, that's the move. There's no question about behind that. And I think Rogan has a, a leg, to, a huge leg, two legs to stand on. As he says here, like, why would you do this to me? Like, and, and so I think he was very unfairly treated by CNN. I thought that was very deceptive on their part. And, and this really gets to a point that you and I like to hammer a lot, which is like, people should stop trying to serve their political interests by putting spin on the ball in such a way as to diminish their political opponents. This should not be a political issue. This should be a really straightforward thing. As you said, ivermectin, as a drug has been subjected to a battery of tests so far with some mixed results, apparently. And, for, and it should not be a political football. And if his doctor prescribed this drug to him, which he did, uh, or she did, um, then, then that should be good enough. I mean, doctors are allowed to make off-label prescriptions. They do it all the time for all sorts of conditions. And that's because they're medically trained to do it. But Meanwhile, he, he recovered from COVID. That's, a, that's great news. Right. I think the one thing, though, that is kind of specious on, on Joe Rogan's part is the fact that Joe Rogan makes it sound as though I took ivermectin and the Z-Pak and all of these, you know, this big cocktail of drugs. Yeah. And, and, the, monoclon and the monoclonal I antibodies, which is a huge yeah. deal. Oh, yeah. The monoclonal ant antibodies is one thing. But that's and he makes it sound, though, like this huge uh 
cocktail of drugs is why he recovered, rather than the fact that he is a healthy man who exercises, a martial artist um, who probably would have recovered in about the exact same amount of time that he recovered, um, even though he is he's 50, I think, or, or in his 50s. But I mean, he is not an average 50 year old either. Um, he is in better shape than most 40 year olds or probably even 35 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that he recovered, he probably could have recovered without that medicine. You know, I mean, we, we can't say for sure, but to make the leap that he definitely recovered because he was taking ivermectin and a Z-pack, I think is a specious leap for a healthy man. And he goes into that later in this podcast. Mm -hmm. I actually watched a little more of the podcast and it's really good. Uh, He and Sanjay Gupta have exactly what we try to do on this show. Right. Um, An uncomfortable yet (laughs) respectful conversation. There are Uh moments that are uncomfortable. And of course I got to plug our last interview with Tucker Carlson, um, who, look, the cat's out of the bag. Tucker Carlson is my friend, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just going to say it now. You know what I mean? That's right. Um, but there were moments in there that were uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, yes. when, I, when I asked him about, you know, why white supremacists uh, see him as an ally, that was an uncomfortable moment. You know what I mean? I, I think we all felt that. But it was a conversation that we were willing to have And that Sanjay Gupta and Joe Rogan conversation was one that was, you know, had some really uncomfortable moments, but had some real good information in it. And it was respectful the whole way through. By the way, just to go back to the point I started with, if you're ever going to go into a situation where you are doing something that's in public, like prepare. (laughs) Like Sanjay (laughs) Gupta, it's so obvious that Joe Rogan, who's been complaining about CNN's treatment of him over this issue, was going to ask like, hey, why did CNN lie about me? Sanjay Gupta better have some sort of spin or answer ready. He had nothing. He was just like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I was I don't of, know. Yeah. They shouldn't have done that. And he's a guy who's pretty, pretty prepared generally. And I, he, I was a little shocked there. He, he knew, he I mean, he was, think. he was prepared to talk about medicine, but not about Joe Rogan and the way they treated him, which was shocking. All right, let's move on to uh, Hillary Clinton, the former Secretary of State, former presidential candidate, appearing on The View, had some thoughts this week. Secretary, now we know uh, from a new Senate report that Trump directly and repeatedly tried to pressure leaders at the DOJ to overturn his election (laughs) loss based on election fraud lies. Those attempts to delegitimize President Biden's win sowed enough doubt to incite the insurrection on January 6th. So how close do you think we came to a full constitutional crisis and how accountable do you think President Trump should be for that? You know, I think we not only came close to a full constitutional crisis, I think we're still in it. Yeah. Mm. And that gives me absolutely no satisfaction in saying this because I think we're at a very dangerous, continuing, high-level attack on the legitimacy of our government Mm -hmm. and the election of our president. And obviously... Our former president uh, is not only behind it, he incited it, he encouraged it, and he continues to do so. And you have leaders of the Republican Party who have willingly gone along as though they're members of a cult, not a political party, but a cult. Uh, And 
their continuing attacks on the election, their refusal, refusal to say, you know what, we've counted these votes, it's over, we're going to move on, has sown so much doubt, and then you combine it with the disinformation network known as Facebook, and you've got a volatile mix. So, yeah, we are still in the midst of a concerted, well-funded effort to undermine uh, American democracy. All right, Hillary Clinton back in public yet again. Well, first of all, the first thing I want to say is um, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not the biggest fan of the Clintons. Um, not a huge fan of, of Hillary at all times. And I was even less of a fan of Bill Clinton. But having said that, I want to say good, uh, get well to Bill Clinton. I think it came out that he's suffering from some sort of infection right now, non-COVID related. Mm -hmm. um, so get well, Bill Clinton. Um, they said it was a urinary tract infection that turned into a blood infection. Right. So um, we want him to get well and urinary tract infections can be uh, particularly painful. And if it got into his blood, I'm sure it's even more uncomfortable. So we want him to get well here on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Now, having said that, um, you know, I, I don't think she necessarily said anything that isn't pretty mainstream uh, democratic views. I, I, I don't think that this was any, there was anything necessarily earth shattering there. These are things that you know, Democrats and Republicans are going to disagree about. But, um, you know, Secretary Clinton, I don't even think that this was uh, a dose of haterade either. I, I think she is stating the fact that we probably are near a constitutional crisis in some ways, um, you know, and, and more crises are, await us in the future when we're talking about elections and the fact that people will in the future, not admit losses, not concede losses, um, always claim fraud, have a million different audits that the public pays for, um, even in places where they win, just re really just searching for, for some inkling that something went wrong so that they can make it uh, you know, bigger than it actually was. Uh, I think that's terrifying for our democracy moving forward. And so I don't think she was necessarily wrong about that. Um, I think Hillary Clinton always wanted to be president. Yeah. You know, and I think she's upset that she's not president or, she, you know, that, you know, a guy who I don't know how she feels about Joe Biden, but I think she she thinks she'd be a better president. Maybe she would. Maybe she wouldn't. She, of course, she thinks that. Um, but I, I think she feels uh, legally cheated. Um, because of everything that happened in 2016. Um, she thought she was the heir apparent to Obama and, and it didn't happen. I think she's frustrated by that. But I don't think that that's what you heard in those comments. I think those comments actually are pretty mainstream views for about half of the country. Yeah, I just this is like the arsonist pretending to be the firefighter, I think. I mean, she is you want to talk about undermining democracy. I don't think anyone is, has played more of a central role in the last few decades than Hillary Clinton uh, at that prospect. I mean, in 2016 and in the wake of it, and you kind of hinted at it a moment ago, talked about it, um, you know, she has insisted that she was done dirty in that election entirely and that it was an unfair outcome. It should have never happened. She should have been president of the United States. And she maintained that position up until this day. 
Uh, and not only did she do that, but she was involved in some of the most disgusting underhanded tactics that really did thwart the tools of democracy, including generating this bogus opposition research packet uh, through Christopher Steele, that British foreign national designed to attack her political opponent on the basis of false information and then inject it into the government where everything came out of control there as the intelligence community and the uh, the uh, security state apparatus were weaponized for political ends. That That's not democratic at all. That's not in any way democratic. And it completely undermines our institutions and hurts our country. So look, you can, you, I, I think it is entirely appropriate to have sort of this, you know, 30,000 foot analysis where you say, well, we should be careful before we uh, create distrust in election results and and what does that do to our system? And if people and if and if you're misleading people, uh, that's that is um, that's that's disruptive in an abusive way. I, I respect all those types of arguments if they're made by somebody who hasn't actually been a part of the arson of our system. And Hillary Clinton, she's definitely been that person. Yeah, I I, I think um, we're talking about things uh, on a different scale. And as, as you and I have discussed and probably debated at length, and we don't need to do it today, but um, uh, that there were other factors besides the Steele dossier that led to that investigation. Um, and there were lots of circumstantial uh, situations that led people to believe that perhaps um, there was coordination with Russia and the Trump campaign. That's what um, people thought. People thought that for a while, Jason, but the more investigations I mean, that come out, the more the Steele dossier proved to be the central element to advancing all of this. That's just sure. True. I mean, I, I think the, the Steele dossier played played an important role. But when you had, you know, Paul Manafort and you had meetings with with uh, what was her name, whatever her the, the Russian lady in Trump vessel, uh, Netskaya, was that her name? Uh, I don't remember. I'm going to make up. Is it Russian Natalia name. Veselnitskaya? I think that was her name. <laughs> that that may be her name. So, um, you know, with with a lot of that kind of circumstantial, you know, evidence that people had, uh, they thought that it was worthy of an investigation. And then the Steele dossier was like, OK, now we got it. And so I think Hillary Clinton, you know, I thought you were going to go in dismantling uh, democracies and and even you know other situations in other countries. I was gonna totally agree. With oh you there. yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna agree with you there. Um, but I think in, in our country, when we're talking about the fact that we are making it easier to overturn elections, I think that that should be terrifying to every single American. Um, right now, it's in the hands of Republicans, but that could switch at some moment. And then Republicans may very well win a close election in some area, and then you know uh, the legislature may overturn it because they don't like the result. I think that that sends us down uh, a path that we yeah. usually think of in in other countries, well, in, in less developed nations, and that's, well, that's I don't, terrifying to me. Well, I by, by and large, I, I I haven't seen enough evidence to agree with your take that this is going to be harmful. I think election integrity is important, so it should be easier to to detect and ferret out fraud and and to make sure that ballots are are authentic 
Um, that I think that's important. It should be easy to vote and hard to cheat. That's a good principle. But yeah. at the same and time, like that right now. at the same time, the, the basic point that you just made, which is like, hey, this, this this governmental system you're creating could be abused by your political opponents. This is the argument against big government broadly, like all of these big government programs. Like it's one thing when your party's in power and it's created. It's another thing entirely when the other party's eventually going to have the control and then you're like, oh, crap, I wish they didn't have all this power over my life. I, I think it's I think it's one of the best arguments, a bipartisan argument against out of control government. Uh, so in that way, I'm giving yeah. you a big thumbs up. Yeah, no, I, I think we agree. Easy to vote, hard to cheat. I think that just some of the things that are going on in our in our country are the opposite. And it should not be easy to overturn a free and fair election because you don't like mm. the, the result. And that's that's what I fear is going on around the country right now. Um, and we're wasting taxpayer money when we need roads and bridges and all kinds of stuff in this country. Um, and, you know, we've seen lots of issues that we could throw our money at rather than, yeah, quote unquote, forensic audits or whatever the hell that well, is. Well, here, I've got something you can throw your money at. Have yeah. you ever tried buying a shirt from Grunt Style? Not a stripper. What's that? <laughs> not, a, not a stripper. No, no. I'll, uh, you should buy a shirt from Grunt Style. I know you already have. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Grunt Style, this uh, apparel company that supports Vince and Jason Save the Nation and the great work we're doing here and the Daily Caller, of course. Um, they're such a great company. It's one of these things that's like, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to have an advertiser. It's another thing to have an advertiser that you really dig and you know, believe in. And that's what we have with Grunt Style. It's cool. Uh, because they're, you know, a patriotic apparel company. Uh, I saw on Jason's Instagram, I was looking at your Instagram yesterday, I guess you tagged me in something. I'm like, oh, let me look at this Instagram, Papa Seuss. Uh, and <laughs> when I when I click in there, I see you wearing your grunt style t-shirt that says, what does it say? I love to pee outside or something. What, what does it, say on it? <laughs> it says nothing better than peeing outside. Yeah, there's and nothing better there. than peeing outside. First of all, you should follow him on Instagram. But second, like, check out this photo. He's standing there all proud and is nothing better than peeing outside grunt style T-shirt. Uh, and it's made by a company that that employs um, hundreds of veterans, hundreds of Americans. Uh, and uh, they're just a great company. And you can get 10% off the apparel there by going to gruntstyle.com and entering the promo code STN. That stands for Save the Nation. Uh, so cool company. And we really appreciate their support. Absolutely. All right, let's check out another clip here uh, put together by our great producers at The Daily Caller. Uh, we've got Democrats. Well, here's, let me throw this one down at you. I'm, I know what I'm about to show you. I believe this is um, the Republican National Committee who put this together. So uh, of course, uh, you'll have some opposition to it on that basis. But it's a montage of Democrats saying that we should defund the police. There was, a, there, there was a moment earlier this year, right, where the White House was trying to say that it wasn't Democrats who were trying to defund the police. It was Republicans. They, were, they, they whipped out this idea that because Republicans didn't pass some sort of expansive you know, cash cannon to towns across America where they could use, make arbitrary decisions about where the money went, including police officers potentially, that therefore by not voting for that giant federal spending package, Republicans were, quote, defunding the police. Um, it, was a, it was quite a... A display of spin, but it got to a basic polling point, which is that the public is not on board with defund the police. But last year, Democrats were in a pretty broad way. And here's a just a quick montage that'll show some of that. So we've been talking about defunding the police. Suck it up. Defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. Not only do we need to disinvest for in police, 
but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. Yes, I support the defund movement. I'm for responsible reallocation of resources and defund the police. I think you do all those other things, you don't need all the money that's going to the police departments. In some necessary cases, completely dismantling those police forces. Police departments uh, are taking a sizable uh, amount of the budget of a lot of municipalities and, and other entities. Uh, we need to look at those budgets, pull some of the money back, and invest it in other things. I think the idea of having a police-free future is very aspirational. And I am willing to stand with community members who are asking us to think of that as the goal. Going through a process of dismantling that institution. So defunding the police, um, for me, it means a reallocation of funds. Why use the word defund? Why use the word defund? And it's like, this is the word that's coming from the streets, you know? We're going to dissolve the gun violence reduction team, the school resource officer program, and the transit specialty units. You don't have one bad apple. You don't have four bad apples. You, you have a, a system-wide problem in that police department. And only by completely dismantling that system and rebuilding it intentionally with the community members at the table, do you have any hope of, of getting it right? <clears throat> okay, so yes, there's a lot of video evidence of a bunch of Democrats saying defund the police or some variation thereof that would result in less funding for the cops. Uh, what do you think of the, like kind of the way that the messaging around this has changed? I mean, that was a big deal last year. You don't hear it anymore. Well, so I think it was it was stated in a way that Democrats um, and by the way, they started re, you know, like I think I saw a couple of people two or three times. So it was like literally five Democrats, all members of the squad. Um, and, you know, some some people I really like. Actually, I, I like, you know, most of the people that I saw in there. I, I know. You know, Mondaire Jones, shout out to him. He's my he's my Twitter buddy. Um, and, uh, you know, AOC and a couple others. And you and I, again, we talked about this in our conversation with, with Tucker Carlson. I think this, and, and once we actually got to the nitty gritty behind sloganeering, and this is the problem with Democrats, they get behind sloganeering and don't pick good slogans. Defund the police is a terrible slogan. You know what I mean? Like, in my opinion, I'm going to keep it real. The idea behind it is a good idea. It's actually deburdening the police. The police should not be burdened with everything that you, you know, that goes on in society. Mm -hmm. The one answer to everything is, oh, I got a flat tire. Let me call 911. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, people think that the answer to everything is to call a police officer. And that's not the way our society should function. And there are some situations where it not only makes the, you know, it overburdens police, it overburdens 911, and it also makes the public less safe. So there are answers for how to fix those problems. And some of them, like I said, in New York, where they've been piloting a program where people can call if your family member is having a mental health crisis. Uh-huh. You know, you can call another number, maybe it's 311 or whatever instead of 911 
and they're going to send mental health professionals out there and a mental health professional will assess the situation and see if they need a law enforcement presence. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll be like, this is dangerous. We need law enforcement. This person could hurt themselves or someone else and we can't handle it. Or they can talk to the person and try to get them to get treatment or they can talk the person down and the person can go back in their house. And it's seemingly through the pilot last time that I checked, it was really successful and it actually helped the police. Fewer calls to the police, you know, which actually helped them. Um, you know, I have a couple of beliefs about policing. I believe that we can cut some of our funding for police and actually pay police officers more because I think that police officers should be paid more, you know? Um, and I think the way you do that is by cutting down on the responsibilities of police officers and finding other places to do jobs that they are not particularly trained for. So paying so, them more, paying them more, the idea being that the, the better a job is, the more attractive a job it is, the more competitive it'll be and you'll attract better candidates to it. Yes, and, and I also think um, that if I expect, if I have very high expectations of you in, in a job, like a doctor, mm -hmm. for example, anything where it's life and death, I want you to be paid well. Right. <laughs> like, I don't want a, a $40,000 a year uh, police officer pulling me over, you know, and he's been out for 12 hours straight writing tickets. He's annoyed, he's pissed off. You know, I'm annoyed because I got pulled over mm -hmm. and that sets up a situation that you've been seeing. I don't know if you saw the video of the guy who got kicked in his face while he's while he's cuffed and on the ground by a police officer. I that think I sets did. up, you know, situations where there's a guy who's a paraplegic who gets pulled out of his car and he's like, wait, you know, let me get somebody, you know, who can help me out of the vehicle. You know, I'm not really trying to cause a problem. I'm a paraplegic. Right. You can hurt me really badly if you pull me out of the car. There's a whole lot of things that, you know, if we could find ways to deburden the police, not saying that those situations are, are situ that weren't, weren't law enforcement situations. They seem like right. they were. But I want you to get paid more. Yeah. Because I have high expectations. You know, I want, but the and I also want the competition, like you said, so that if you don't do your job well, I can replace you with someone. But see, who I, I get that. What you're talking about makes sense. It's like not everything is a police job. And so therefore we should have alternatives to that. That, that makes sense. Yeah. But the underlying motive. Cop to get a cat out of a tree. <laughs> you know, yeah, opinion. that's what the fire department's for. They get the ladder. <laughs> right. um, no, but see, the, the underlying uh, motivation behind the defund the police movement was not that they, they wanted. I know. I know this is not the argument you're making. You're making your own argument. But the, the defund the police movement was not arguing we need to deburden the cops. It was like, oh, the cops are doing such a great job. We need to take so much of off, off their, a lot of this off their plate so that they can focus on doing their great job. No, it was about devastating police forces. It was about that they were turned into the enemy. And a lot of it was based on uh, just ridiculous lies about the nature of the relationship between police officers and the community. Yeah, and- I that was destructive. That was completely destructive. And then what we saw was this, this panic defunding that took place in cities across America who have now reversed course. They've actually, uh, I think to a T, have all brought back funding for police officers after these government officials were browbeaten into submission. They're like, oh yes, okay, we'll, we'll defund the cops. 
And when they did that, it, it led to terrible outcomes. And now they're trying to bring back funding for the cops. This is a police force, by and large, that's had diminished morale as a result of being unfairly maligned over the course of the last year. And so many guys just left the force. So many guys were retiring and were just like, I'm done. What am I doing? I'm, what kind of public service is this where I get no respect whatsoever from the public? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it was just awful. It was just, just a really awful, impulsive destruction of an institution that, yeah, if you think that there should be fixes, and that sounds reasonable, then like let's work on whatever fixes there, there might need to be. But defund the police and the actual defunding that followed was, um, I think, a terrible thing for the country. So I think that that that's actually not true. And and even in the in the clips that you showed, people were saying reallocation. Let's let's allocate funds to mental health, to homelessness, all the things that we call police for. Um, you know, there's some guy sleeping outside of my business. You know what I mean? Let's let's actually fix those root problems in other ways and allocate funding toward that so that we don't have to make police do the job. I think that was the understanding. The the other thing I I would say- You're right. Some of the people said the words reallocate, but what that did mean is to take away funding from the cops and send it somewhere else. Right. Well, there's there's a limited pot of money in a lot of these cities. And so in order, you know, and and the law enforcement budget was for in, in major cities around the country, was enormous because the law enforcement was expected to to deal with everything. And I'll tell you one of the things that I, you know, one of my good friends, I think he's a a good friend of mine, um, is a police chief. Mm -hmm. And he'll tell you, you know, uh, you know, talking to the mayors in different cities, and I won't say which cities, but major cities in the country that have crime issues. And one of the things that he's had to tell these people in city council people who, you know, grandstand in front of microphones is you can't arrest your way out of a social problem. You know what I mean? You can't arrest your way out of poor schools and lack of housing. It's not law enforcement that should, that has to solve those problems. Law enforcement is a backstop for society. It's, it should be the last resort for a lot of these issues. You guys, it's your job to address those issues, you know, those root causes. And that's one of the things that I think the defund movement, even though terrible sloganeering in this particular case, as soon as they were saying that, I was like, oh, God, here we go again. Um, But the root issues, I think most Americans would agree with. And as far as what you're saying, violence is up in cities that defunded the police. That is true. But violence is up in cities that actually raise the funding. Places like Tulsa and Jacksonville, uh, other major cities that actually either raised their funding or kept their funding the same, violence was up in those cities as well. So there's no real direct correlation between defunding the police um, and the outcomes that you're talking about. Now, what you could say, I agree with, is maybe morale was low. I, I can I can go with that. 2020 was a rough year. I don't know an industry where morale was not low. It was low in education. I can tell you that. We no, were. But all- it was it was pariah status if you were a cop. I had a cop come up to me uh, in uh, Northern Virginia, off duty. He was just in civilian clothing, mm-hmm. and he had to whisper to me that he. he I, I have a, I have a radio show in Northern Virginia, so he listens. 
he came up to me, he had to whisper to me that he listens to the show and he didn't want to, you know, say it out loud, but that he's a police officer and that he was appreciative of the fact that I was supportive of his profession. And then I've been saying this, he had to whisper it because he didn't want to say, he admitted to me, he didn't want to say it too loudly in that room for fear of the way that people might react to the fact that he's a police officer. That's awful. I mean, that's just truly awful. It's like, it should not have to be that way. But, but was it that? Or was it that he's a police officer and people in the room shouldn't know his political views because they don't you don't want them to think that, you know, he is judging them based on his political views. There are no, situations I remember, I remember where I, I would not. I remember distinctly that he had told me that he said he appreciated it. He didn't want, you know, didn't want to uh, speak too loudly because he knows there's people that just don't like cops these days. So I that's that that's the truth. And I, that really stuck with me. Yeah, and I, I just think I just think that like cops are are needed. Like everybody wants the cops, everybody, and and yeah. and this it's it's actual public service, and you want good policing. Obviously, that's the point. Um, but I don't. I thought that the level to which police officers were demonized last year was I truly insane. Uh, and so, and I hope we come back from that. So let me just address one thing. Um, I think that there is a difference. And and again, this this reminds me of what we talked about uh, in our interview. Um, just like I think there's a difference between white people and whiteness. You know what I mean? Like when people are like, oh, you hate white people if you talk about whiteness. And it's like, those are two different things. And it's the same thing when you talk about policing versus police officers. One is talking about a system and a systemic issue rather than talking about the problems with individuals. Um, and I think the, the defund movement is actually talking about policing and just the, the management of society rather than talking about individual police officers. Individual mm -hmm. police officers are the people we go to, you go to church with or go to the mosque with or go to you know, the synagogue with. They're the people who, you know, are our friend are your friends the people you work out with at the gym the people you play basketball with right the people you know like i said i when i was doing martial arts i sparred with cops and you know fbi agents and all of them and you know we laughed and got sushi afterward mm -hmm. you know and they knew my political views and they knew what I, what it was i said but we recognize one another's humanity the issue is not police officers all the time there are sometimes but the issue is policing. So when people are saying we need to take down, uh, you know, these police departments, for one, you know, of course, the big example is Camden, where they Camden, New Jersey, who, which is a rough city, you know, um, and you know, I'm from, I lived in Philadelphia for a little while, and people in Philadelphia don't want to go to Camden. Sometimes they're like, Nah, I'm not going to Camden, at least back in the day. But Camden brought their police department, basically dismantled it and rebuilt it. And, right, they replaced you know, even, it, yeah. And even if it's, you know, it's not perfect, because if you talk to activists in Camden, they're like, look, we still got problems with policing in Camden, but it's better than it was before. And so I think when you had Ilhan Omar and other people in Minneapolis saying, and I think Minneapolis is, is where, if I'm not mistaken, that's where either the paraplegic guy was pulled out of his car 
or it was where the guy was kicked in the face. One, one of those uh, situations happened in Minneapolis, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have these kinds of things happening over and over and over again, and these situations in these police departments, people are thinking, you know, maybe we dismantle this and then we rebuild it from the bottom up and then we make it serve the public better. Um, I think the problem is that a lot of dishonest media, usually on the right, makes it seem like this is about individual police officers. Like, hey, the left hates individual police officers. Black people hate cops. That's not the situation. As you stated in our interview, black people sometimes ask for ask for cops. Right. In in certain situations. So it's not about hatred of cops. I don't it's think, about fair policing. Yeah. And that's what people want. I don't think black people hate cops. I definitely don't. I think radical activists hate cops. I think so kind of to invert what you just said, as like I think what happens is like the actions of an individual officer are then transplanted to become a systemic problem uh, intentionally. You know, it's like you can take, uh, you know, uh, what's that guy's name? Darren Wilson. Uh, you take Darren Wilson and then all of a sudden he's he's all cops. It's like, well, this is typical. He's a stand in for every single police officer. Chauvin, That's just not true. Derek Chauvin. Yeah. Oh, Derek Chauvin. What am I? Darren Wilson yeah. was a Dar- different. Darren Wilson thing. was the guy who shot Mike Brown. Um, oh, yeah. OK. All right. So, but it, I, but, either right, one, Derek Chauvin. you know, the, the point. Well, no, Darren Wilson was was justified. But, um, uh, you know, but, again, that. It, it definitely had a whole lot more nuance in, in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, but, according to Eric Holder, I'm, I don't know, but yeah, that's yeah. what Eric Holder said. I think said. There's, there's, a like I said, there, there's a lot more nuance in that situation um, than others. But again, the problem with, Dar- with Darren Wilson, the problem there was less about Darren Wilson. It was more about what was exposed after Ferguson. So, you know, rest in peace to, to Mike Brown, but... It wasn't necessarily about that incident. What, what did we find out after that incident? We found out that, the, the, uh, that Ferguson was getting most of its revenue. I think it was like the second highest revenue generator were, were court fines mm. and, and things like that. And they were basically bleeding this over-policing in order to bleed the community dry, mainly poor Black people, uh, in order to generate revenue. That's not right. And then you had situations, of course, even with Mike Brown, they left his body out there. There are so many situations where we're seeing, you know, and again, talking to this police chief, um, and I think he's close to retirement. I'm going <laughs> to, once he retires, I'm going to see if he'll come on the show. Yeah. One of, one of the things that, because uh, I, I don't want him to come on, I don't want him to get any kind of hate or anything. But one of the things that he said, he's like, this is why we're getting away, you know, the problem with getting away from police from community policing is Uh that when he was uh you know he was like if mike brown i'll never forget we were having just an off-the-cuff candid conversation he was like if mike brown were in a community that i policed he's like there's no way i would not have known mike brown right he's like he's a 6'4 300 pound kid if i'd have seen him coming out of the high school i would have gotten to know him and then i would have rolled on him and been like what are you doing in the street mike it's an argument for small towns get to know people Um, well it's an argument for community policing yeah but (laughs) i mean it's harder to community police and know everybody in a town of millions of people that's all i'm saying but but again you don't police the whole city and you certainly and again it's cheaper i understand it's cheaper to put someone in a car that's the whole thing all right hey jason jason you and i have another obligation here so we've got to jump to it 
But in the meantime, I just want to, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. First of all, as we go out, I just want to say Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Gold Co. And we are very appreciative of your time with us today. You can like, subscribe, comment, and share on YouTube and make sure to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you find a podcast. This is Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Thanks, Jason Nichols. Absolutely. Thank you. And actually, I just want to give a quick plug and a shout out uh, to our buddy Joe Bob. Check out Daily Caller Live with Joe Bob and to our buddy Dave Hookstead, who does another show on the Daily Caller on Daily Caller TV. Definitely check out all those shows. Check out our interviews in the past. We're with you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Peace.